Hey guys, thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to The Legendarium on iTunes. Uh, check us out at thelegendarium.podbean.com and also write us at thelegendariumpodcast at gmail.com. Welcome to The Legendarium. Today, Craig and I discuss Book 4, Chapters 4 through 6 in an episode entitled Faramir, You Stud Muffin You. everybody time to begin time to begin it's that time again you know i gotta say i do love this intro music that we do i listened to this album on the way over here and uh it's nice to have the reminder every once in a while that this isn't just 15 seconds of of catchy tune it's, yes it's good stuff it's a very long full song if you want to go check it out go uh go find sumi sound system on spotify that's t-s-u-u-m-i Yep, Sumi Sound System, they're fantastic. Um, so, uh, let's see, it's been what, two weeks? Three weeks? Two weeks? Two weeks since we've been in oh, studio. Gosh, it feels like so much longer than that. Um, since we were last here, uh, Comic-Con came through town. Yes. And you partook of several events, did you not? I did indeed. I did uh, enter into the Comic-Con world and... Uh, I got to enjoy... In fabulous fashion, yeah. <laughs> yes, I got to go and, uh, I mean, I see all the vendors and all the booths and see some of the things that we've got uh, going on there. Um, they had... There was a couple of things that stood out to me that were pretty cool. Uh, one was, we actually, there's, I think it's in, uh, was it Linden? Um, someplace Provo-esque. Yeah, um, someplace in Utah. In Utah. Uh, they are creating a kind of a not renaissance uh, oh isn't it the like the 19th century english yes uh, uh theme park elizabethan era victorian yeah evermore is what it's called yeah i heard evermore. of this uh so this is really happening it's a big yes. big deal huh yes it is okay and once it, uh, i think once they finish uh, construction and, and get everything going there i think we ought to go down and record a, a session oh you know we will there so yeah for sure there's that uh some other thing i mean they had a lot of uh great celebrities things there i got uh i got a chance to, to meet karen gillen and do it and have my photo taken with her nerdgasm so yeah uh i i'm really impressed i mean this is the second comic-con event that salt lake has done yeah i gotta say you know i i knew about comic-con you know from its adventures in california no pun intended uh but you know, it was always this kind of faraway thing that was a really big deal in in or near Hollywood that I, I never really knew much about. But then it came to Salt Lake last year, and it was crazy. It was off the charts crazy. And then this year was, you know, twice as big as last year. So Salt Lake seems to be acquitting itself very nicely. Yeah, it is. Uh, Salt Lake Comic Con is actually now the third largest Comic Con in the United States. In North America, I think I read. Yeah, North which, America. Okay, you're probably not going to get a lot of Comic Cons down in Mexico, but whatever. You know. Um, yeah, I. Uh, what else was I? I was okay. So I was reading a chart that somebody posted on Facebook, and I think I actually put it on the legendary Facebook page. But it, according to uh, Facebook likes and interests that people list on their pages. Mm-hmm. Utah is like easily far and away the number one nerdiest state in the union. Yeah, they were number one or two in like 
six of the of the twelve categories. The 12 categories. Yeah. yeah, it was awesome. I I was really proud personally. Yeah, uh, and for some reason, you know, the the deep South, Florida, and and Florida, that kind of area just was not nerd friendly at all. And I don't know, I, I don't understand why that might be. I don't know the Bible. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what it would be, but uh, no. But it made me uh, feel like I, you know Utah was doing me proud there. Yeah. So I, you know, if I ever end up back in the Northwest, I'll be a little bit sad because all the kids up there will be too cool for school. Well, you still have Emerald City Comic Con up there, which is a pretty large one. I don't remember if that's the second or or it's it's definitely in the top five. You got yeah. a, a large one up there, so you can still you can still nerd all out right, up there. Fine, fine, I'll do it. Um, so the only thing that, that you and I did together at this particular fan X was, uh, the red carpet, uh, club experience. And I gotta say, I'm not sure how I felt about it. (laughs) (laughs) There were some good times had, I suppose, but, uh, seeing as we're both, uh, married men, uh, who don't drink, uh, it made it difficult to, uh, to really live it to its full uh you know uh clubbish potential yeah the bar scene for both of us is not exactly the <laughs> there are still a few uh places bar places like uh, the in here in salt lake there's a place called the tabernacle or yeah, keys sure. on main that are piano b- bars that can be kind of fun but for the most part the bar scene just doesn't fit us yeah not so much i it, now yeah i don't know how i how i felt ultimately about it but it was an okay time while we were there there's what was the dude from Fantastic Four who we saw walking around? Yeah, Mr. Fantastic, Ian something, something or other. other. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, so now my plan is definitely to get a little bit more involved as Comic-Con keeps rolling through town. They're doing... So this was Fan X, and uh, I think you and I should definitely get involved in Comic-Con itself as it rolls through in September. Uh, so I'm sure that anybody listening in the Salt Lake area, you're going to find us wandering around. Uh, comic-con there yeah there's actually two separate events uh, there's the comic-con uh, which is actual comic-con right there and then in july we have fantasy con right which i'm really looking forward to yeah fantasy con in july is is more specific around the worlds that we talk about here fantasy right. related um uh, it it is not quite as large but it still has a, a large group of celebrities coming uh, they've got people like john reese davies um who else have they got um I think they've got they have a list of about 15 celebrities yeah. or so that are coming in fantasy con people i need my press pass yes so hook me up uh good well we'll have plenty to look forward to then um should we get on with this cast yeah now that we've wasted sufficient time talking about comic-con i could nerd out about comic-con for a while even though i i didn't really go to it but i I do work downtown so i feel like i got my fill of you know just watching the comic-con people walk around you know i got i got my fill of of stuff yeah and i think we ought to uh um you know as we cover for most everything we've covered so far here it's we've been very lord of the rings lord of the rings centric but we Mm -hmm. will be discussing a lot of things uh, outside of that realm um in the near future and and exploring some of that. So talking, you know, talking about this fantasy world, fantasy con, the comic con, those things, those are all pieces to the the large puzzle of what the legendarium is. is oh yeah, doing, for sure. So. In fact, uh, I guess one more thing before we move on is that uh, I, I, you know, I hate to date this podcast, but this is uh, we're coming up on May the fourth. Yes, uh, Star Wars Day, and so that's going to be what next Sunday or Monday. 
and uh and so i think in the next week or so uh you and i ought to throw something together that we can put out for uh star wars day yeah um i actually started doing a little prep work today i went back and uh revisited the third in the prequel trilogy and and suffered through that particular horror I made, show. I made a. I'm going to. And I made a major um, discovery here, and we'll, we'll talk about it more when we do our Star Wars piece. But yeah. the general storyline of the prequels is not terrible. No, the storyline is okay. No, we can't get into this. <laughs> we can't do it. All right, let's move on to Lord of the Rings because we're going to save that for the Star Wars cast. Oh okay. my gosh, I have so much to say. Oh, <laughs> uh, you're killing me. All right, let's play. Craig's Lord of the Rings trivia. All right. Here we go. Uh, now we're doing, uh, let's see, book four, chapters four through six, the Faramir chapters. Mm-hmm. So, are you ready? Um, honestly, probably not. All right. We're going to go. I'm glad glad to hear the confidence. Question number one. Sam asks Gollum to do three things for him. What were they? Uh, are you talking about going to go fetch three things? Yeah, yeah. Like He says third time pays for all. What were those three things? Oh, gosh. Um, fetch... Was it wood? Nope. Dang it. Well, then I don't remember. It's like find, water. Find us something to eat. Oh. That was the first thing. And then fill the pans with water. And then the third was find some herbs to cook with. And yeah, he right. wouldn't do the third one. I remember because they were getting into the making the stew. Right. Uh, how are Frodo and Sam eventually discovered by Faramir's men? How? With their eyes. What, what was it that led them to discover the hobbits? Uh, smoke from the fire. Good job. Yep, Sam leaves the fire unattended, and it starts to smoke. Much like fire often does. Name one of the guards that Faramir leaves behind to guard Frodo and Sam during the battle. There were two of them. Um, the only guard's name that I can think of that starts with, it starts with an N, and I can't think of it. It's like Nordgren or something like that. There was Mablung and Damrod. Uh, I would have accepted either. Who were Faramir's men fighting during that battle? Uh, orcs. <laughs> they were fighting Southruns, the men of Harad. Oh, yeah. The, the men from the south that come up. They're, they're on the road up to join... Uh, what's that guy's name? Sauron. Mm-hmm. Gandalf has some other names that Faramir lists... Uh, we know Gandalf and Mithrandir already, so oh, I'm taking you, those you, off the table. <laughs> you took the one I could remember. Can you name any others? No, I remember he says the because he says his name is the Mithrandir for the elves, and then it's like something for the dwarves. Uh, Gandalf for Tharkun to the dwarves, Incanus in the south, and then Olorin was his like original name. When he no. was in his original godlike incar- incarnation. Yeah. Uh, okay, the window on the west refers to what? The uh, view through the waterfall. Henneth Anun. Yes, I'll accept your answer. The window of the sunset, which they look out of uh, when they get to that hiding place. Okay, Denethor, Faramir's father, is what number in the line of stewards? Twelfth. No, you fifteenth. No, you're thinking of the right paragraph. He references the twelfth steward, and then he says, "My father being the seventeenth." You know, <laughs> <laughs> he says the sixth and twentieth. The sixth and twentieth. How did you? The sixth from when his family took over. No, no, no. 20th the twenty sixth. The twenty sixth. Oh, steward 
in general. Uh, yeah, tonight's not your night, man. I am Who struggling. reveals to Faramir the identity of Isildur's bane? Uh, Sam. Yes. Faramir says that Frodo has an air of elves about him. Sam, in turn, says that Faramir reminds him of... Wizards. Yes. How long does Faramir give Frodo leave to be in Gondor? Uh, one year... Is it a year and a day? A year and a day. At which time he has to return to Minas Tirith if he wants to stay there. Yes. Uh, yeah, so you got a year and a day. You got wizards. You got... Oh, you're keeping track. You got five. Oh, well, that makes my job easier. Good. 50, five. 50%. Uh, okay. Well, you want to go for uh, go for broke on the bonus? Come on. Give me the bonus. Let me... There's... <laughs> uh, okay. Bonus question. Faramir tells us another name for Lothlorien. What was that name? Uh, it had a lot of L's in it. I swear, like that. Well, yeah, it had two L's, but it sure sounds like more. Little, like little Florian. It was it was Laura Lindorin. Yeah, okay. Which means it's like Valley of the Golden Song or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Laurel, Laurelin was. A golden tree. Lorelai, let's live <laughs> together. You're so lucky you're out of arm's reach right now. Um, so, yeah, five out of five out of ten. We're not counting the bonus. So, 50%. Not bad. Um, that was a pretty hard one. But let's just uh, let's just move on and, and not worry about that particular trivia. Uh, before we move on, uh, just real quick, what's in store for next week? I think we'll have a guest on, and and we're gonna be wrapping up chapter or book four. Um, how is book four going for you, by the way? Do you, do you have a preference at this point, like which storyline you're enjoying reading about? Um, I'm enjoying the depth of character in this storyline more. Yeah. The overall enjoyment. Uh, I don't know the the heroes sections are just tend to be a little. They tend to be a little more action centric i guess sure and uh a little bit quicker on the read these ones are more interesting and you get a, a more in-depth view of the characters for example i'm sure we'll talk quite a bit about him today but faramir as a character um who i kind of want to literarily make out with <laughs> if you know what i mean i'm I'm never borrowing a book from you ever. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, you, you look at characters like that, and you get an idea that there's a deeper description of the character. You get more interaction between that character and others yeah. than just simply exposition of, of uh, here's, well, yeah, here's, here's what's going on, or here's what we, you know, oh, we just happened to kill these people, and now we need to go to here. There's a whole lot more of the thought process. And, yeah, I agree. I really like it a lot. So. Um, you're right, it does move a little slower. In fact, when I started this reading in Chapter 4, the of Herbs and Stewed Rabbits, or whatever it's called, um, it, man, that takes a little while to get going. It's He spends so much time talking about the different plants that are in Ethelion, and I just, oh, man, mm-hmm. I gotta be honest. It, and it might be more uh, interesting if I were, you know, more of a green thumb, but I'm not, and, I, oh, it was kind of painful. I you know just let's move on. I don't care. I don't, I don't care about the sixteenth variety of of herb mm-hmm. that grows uh, next to the trees, which you've described in great detail. So and, you know that's just me. There have been some spots that I've already talked about where I love how much description he goes into, but this is not one of them. 
So. But you could take this information, and I'm sure someone has, if uh, and create the cookbook of Middle Earth. Oh, not a cookbook. There is though. There is a book about the uh, about the flora of Middle Earth. I it, yeah, it's real. It's an actual thing. Somebody went and tracked all these different plants and like gives the background of both both the real plants and the fictional ones. Wow. So I yeah I've not read it. I'll be honest. Um, I've read a lot of books about the Lord of the Rings. That's not one of them. That would be a that would be a tough sell for me to to read. Ugh. I don't have a great love of horticulture. So. There you go. That's the word I was looking for. Horticulture. You're so smart. Sometimes. Um. Well, good. Uh, should we move on and uh, and make some points? Let's try. Let's okay. Try and make some points. I you know almost all of mine are about Faramir. I love that guy. Um, so I'm going to start off today. Okay. Um, okay. My first one is just a quote. I would not snare even an orc with a falsehood. And this, you know, this is just one of those things that makes me love Faramir. I don't have, you know, a lot of in-depth things to talk about here because it's pretty obvious. But, uh, but I love this idea that, um, that somebody could live their life this way without a falsehood mm-hmm. you know and I, and i bet that uh in his younger years and even now like he struggles to you know make sure that he's not uh telling falsehoods you know you got to slow down and think about what you're doing but uh, what do you think is this a good uh is this a good uh, a mantra by which to live. Right. Is this is this something to live up to, or is this an impossible task? And is lying a part of life? And is this uh, does this uh, make him an unbelievable character? Um. Wow. Uh, here's here's the chance to uh, for everyone to judge my character based on my answer. Yeah. Here we go. Um. Is it possible to live without lying? Absolutely. Is it an easy <laughs> life? Not in the least. Yeah. Um. You can go through without telling a lie or that, but, and there's a lot of philosophy behind the, what do you constitute a lie? So for example, you're talking to your kids or something like that, or some of the different stories we tell. Like Santa Claus and all that. like that. It's like, okay, is, you know, let's, let's talk about, is it right to do that sort of thing? You know, what, does the benefit outweigh the, the, the cost, the cost there. Um, so, you know, with Faramir in this, in this story, I think that the fact that he is so honest and straightforward and the fact that he proves it time and again through his discussions, uh, you know, it's Frodo has to find someone like that in the story uh, to be able to talk to for just a brief time. Yeah. Because up to this point, the he's had Gandalf, who even though Gandalf is wise and everything... He doesn't tell Frodo everything. No, he yeah, he's very um, he's very. I, I, I hesitate to use the word manipulative, but he's he controls the situation through information. Yeah, right. He's, he is the chess master of this of all these plans right. he's moving around. And you have like Aragorn, who is he's not a character that you would expect to be to lie or whatever. But he, he doesn't would also lie, be, but he's not very forthcoming necessarily. Yeah. So the but then you have Faramir here, and he's not spilling his guts, but he's not, but he's simply being straightforward and honest with him the whole way through like you know as much I'm, as he's able yeah yeah i'm not going to try and hide things I, I know what it is you're i know you know to a certain extent what you're talking about here yeah the more you tell me the more i can tell you yeah. type thing yep 
Be honest, people. Generally speaking, it's it's the best policy, right? Honestly, I've the best heard policy. this. Yes, I've heard this. What's your point? What's your okay. next point? My thing is uh, first, actually, and it really bothers me that I missed it during the uh, the trivia question because <laughs> I find it very interesting. And I don't know if it's naivety of I'm on Sam's part or if it's the development of trust or just not thinking things through. Why he sends Gollum to collect food for them. I understand that they're hungry. Yeah, why yeah, Sam's okay. yeah. Because, I mean, I understand they're hungry. They've been eating Limbus bread right. for a while now. Uh, there's been no good food, really, for them uh, for the for. How, sure, many, sure. how many days have they been out? Oh, gosh, I don't even know. Two weeks, maybe? You know, three weeks. Out. So, I mean, you imagine, even if it's a, you know, a filling bread, you know, a shortbread cookie or something like that. And, Yum. Uh, yeah, so that would be that'd be good, but... Uh, yeah, yeah. So why is he trusting Gollum to do this thing when he doesn't even trust Gollum enough to, like, take a nap? Yeah, with him he around? won't sleep around there, but he says, okay, go get, go get food and go get me herbs and stuff. So it, there's two things here that I think might be at, hand, might be at play. One... Like I said before, either Sam's kind of trusting a little bit or he's just not thinking this through. Uh, just saying, look, I just want you out of my sight. Go get us food. You know, you you seem to have some skill at that. He's at least acknowledging, you know, that Gollum has enough skill to keep himself alive. So he could probably find food for us. Yeah. Or, or in addition to, Sam also has an extensive knowledge of the herbs and things right. like that. So he's not too concerned about Gollum poisoning, poisoning them. them. Yeah. I mean, I I don't know. I, I guess at a certain point, even if you are distrustful of somebody, if you've been around them for long enough, like, there are these little things that you, that don't even cross your mind anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, of course you can do that for us. I mean, you've... I, I'm not going to trust you uh, with a knife to Frodo's throat, but, you know, you're, you've obviously not tried to kill us this long by poisoning us. So, so yeah. yeah. Um, okay. I'm going to go on. Uh, okay. So do you remember in book one, they, book one, book two, uh, they're heading into Lothlorien and I think it was Haldir that says it, but they're blindfolding the fellowship to go to, uh, enter Lothlorien and, uh, Legolas and Gimli are bickering about it and I, I can't remember if it's Haldir or if it's Aragorn, but somebody says, that uh, uh, that in nothing is the evil of the enemy seen as clearly as in the the discord of uh, of his enemies, mm-hmm. right? Like that's where he sows the most uh, mischief, mm-hmm. and and it comes up again. And I so I really like the point originally, the way that he said it there, and then he brings it up again when uh, they do the same thing. Not, I can't remember if it's during the blindfold scene, but anyway, Sam says, you know, he'd be mighty pleased if he could see you now mm-hmm. the way that, uh, you know, the way that they're treating Frodo. Cause Sam's like, no, Frodo's he's on your side. He's trying to do the work that you're fighting for and mm-hmm. look at the way you're treating him. He'd be mighty pleased if you could, if he could see you now. Oh yeah. So, you know, and again with this one, it's a short, quick point. I don't have uh, a lot to talk about. Just, just the idea that if you have um, an ally, uh, you know, use that 
to you know to your mutual advantage don't bicker and and whatnot over your small differences well, this actually i mean this point you bring up has been recurring throughout he talks about it before but how many examples are there of uh for example when uh, mary and pippin were taken earlier um the urukai and the orcs battle each other or start fighting each other cutting each other's heads oh, off yeah, yeah. and every time they do they start fighting amongst each other it slows them down Right. Um, so on both sides, the discontent and discord between people on the same side has never led to anything of value or, or good. Yeah. It always benefits the the other side. Well, actually, and it does. So something comes to mind. I, I didn't. I said I didn't have much to say, but hopefully this won't take too long. But it just came to my mind. My wife uh, is a big time feminist. Like that is her thing. My thing is the Lord of the Rings. Her mm-hmm. thing is feminism. And uh, something that she brings up all the time is, uh, and and if we ever bring her on to talk about women in the Lord of the Rings, then this will be what she talks about, I'm sure. But it's um, the idea that in feminism, uh, there are all of these little factions. You know, if you're not a feminist, then you look in on it from the outside and you're like, feminism is this huge block, mm-hmm. uh, you know. Uh, this monolith, but it's not. There are all these little bickering factions inside, and they. But the thing is, they all, generally speaking, have the same, you know, one or two ultimate goals: you know, equality for women and respect, and all this, you know, gooey stuff. Uh, but they bicker about the little tiny things, and they just beat each other to death, you know. And and I think uh, a lot of times forget about all the the similarities they have and you know what they're ultimately fighting for so you know there there are definitely some parallels i suppose with real life here Mm -hmm. so stop fighting let's all love each other give your friend a hug today i don't touch me yeah (laughs) you stay on that side of the room there's a reason we have a tape (laughs) line between us okay um for my next point there's a we've talked about different races and different groups here Mm -hmm. um up to this point the uh, feeling we've gotten from Gondor, uh, people or the men of Gondor is the, you know, kind of this warrior race mm-hmm. that, you know, they're these, this mighty group, you know, Boromir is Gondor. Is Gondor. Yeah. That is, that's kind of what we look at here. Um, this is one of the first times there's, there's two things about this that I want to bring up for this is the first time we meet a character who is not pure warrior. He's still warrior, but warrior poet. Yeah. As you talk about warrior poet in Faramir. But it makes me question something here. Um, and it, it's actually the scene where they find Frodo and they find Sam. Um, they talk about, did you hear that? It's a it's a bird whistle or something like that. Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. I want, I'm curious as to how good these men are in terms of, like, blending into their surroundings. To me, the this group sounded more like the rangers, like, an, like Aragorn. Well, they're, the they're called rangers, right? They're the rangers of Ithilien. I did not catch or that. Or rangers of Gondor, I can't remember. Yeah. So to me, they they felt more like that than they felt more like a ranger group than uh, the warrior sure. class of Gondor, which I guess is is, is true is the case uh, because when I think of rangers, I think of like Aragorn and I think of the the Numenorians, yeah. which I guess the yeah Gondor is the descendant of the right of right Numenor. yeah. So the thing about it is that they're they're all descended from the same line, right? Mm-hmm. So these uh, rangers from the north, which Aragorn comes from. They are Numenorians. They're just a, a slightly different branch than the Gondorians. Mm-hmm. The, Gon- the Gondorites? The Gond- Gond- Gondorian, Gondorite, Gond... Whatever. Dare. <laughs> Gond- Men Dare? of Gondor. There you go. <laughs> There's a reason they... <laughs> <laughs> so, 
yeah, they're they're the same folk, and so you know, it it wouldn't surprise me that they have some of the same traditions and some of the same practices, and you know, it, the, I'm sure within Gondor, like you say, there are these different classes and whatnot. But yeah, I'm I'm not surprised there would be these rangers in both places. Yeah. Just to me, up to this point, I've always envisioned the men of Gondor like shields and armor, like running down there. Hey, we are the men who fight all the battles. La da da da. Really? That's how you pictured them? Okay, maybe that was that was a little Monty Python esque. Okay, I am a lumberjack, and I am okay. Oh, now you have me yearning for for a little Monty Python. Have you ever watched a bit of Fry and Laurie? Yes. Oh gosh, it's in my opinion at least as good as Monty Python. So whatever. Uh, okay, here we go. My next point. Um, okay, my next point is actually just a quote, um, a, a really nice paragraph that I liked, and then we can riff on it if we want, or we can move on immediately. But, okay. Uh, Faramir says, "War must be while we defend our lives against a destroyer who would devour all." But I do not love the bright sword for its sharpness, nor the arrow for its swiftness, nor the warrior for its for his glory. I love only that which they defend, the city of the men of Numenor, and I would have loved her for her memory, her ancientry, her beauty, and her present wisdom, not feared, save as men, uh, save as men may fear the dignity of a man old and wise. Anyway, I just love the way, first of all, the way he talks about his his home city, his home country. I mm-hmm. love the way he talks about it. But then also in here is also I love the way that he talks about um, battle and war and not loving the warrior for his own sake. You mm-hmm. know, it's uh, these things are means to an end and the end is more important. You know, and I, and I feel like we uh, in in our culture have, you know, maybe started drifting toward this a little bit where we really revel in violence. And uh, and we we celebrate uh, violent things, whether whether it's in actual war and battle or if it's in simulated war and battle in sports and you mm-hmm. know and whatnot. Uh, we celebrate these things as ends in themselves. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. The and I do agree with that quite a bit because I've had a few discussions with uh, some family or. Um, and this is this will branch off a little bit here. Um, the idea of patriotism. Yeah, sure. Okay. I I love America. I, I, I see there's an American flag on your sleeve right now, actually. That's, yeah. Um, I, no, I'm, I'm not lying. He's wearing a soccer jersey. It has an American flag on yes, his sleeve. Yes, I'm wearing my uh, Real Salt Lake You jersey. wear your patriotism on your sleeve. Exactly. Okay, on with your point. Sorry. Um I I love very much the idea of freedom and whatever things that America stands for. I am beyond sick uh, with the majority of our country's um, ruling class. I guess I should say ruling class. It's not a. I know it's not the best term, but the one percenters. Damn you! <laughs> not. It's not even that. I'm not even that. The one percenters, whatever. There's. That's not what I'm getting at there. Um, and the fact that I am. There are times when I am less uh, inclined to uh, support, not not support, but um, revel in the great things that are like, that's America, that's what makes yeah. America, because I'm bothered by what I'm, that 
that symbolism of America is. Yeah, yeah, it's sure. not to me that's not America. Well, I think the the what symbolizes America has changed a lot, right? Mm-hmm. It used to be um you know the the uh principles enshrined in the constitution and if, you know if you move outside of that it's all about industry and making your way and creating a better life for those who come after you. These very lofty ideals but we think of them as as kind of abstract ideas and like i say lofty ideals but they were very real to mm-hmm. people the you know like this is a concrete thing the idea of industry hard work that you teach to your children how by working hard and by having them work hard alongside you you know and, and until it's time for them to make their own way now the things that symbolize america are very well, you want to talk about concrete, you don't get much more concrete than a Big Mac, especially once it's settled <laughs> in your stomach, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, these, but it's, uh, or, or take Texas, for instance. Everybody loves Texas. I love Texas, but this whole idea of, like, everything's bigger in Texas. We have bigger burgers. We have bigger cookouts. Our women have bigger boobs. You know, we, we play bigger sports in bigger stadiums. You know what I mean? Yeah, having lived there for two years, I and the fact is, is that it is not far from the truth in terms of uh, you know size and ratio and right. all of those things. Their high school stadiums rival quite a few of the college ones. Here right, for totally. So anyway, and yeah, I'm not bashing Texas. It's all it's this way all over the place. But just this idea that like bigger is better and more and more, and we need uh, we're taking it because we can we have you know we have more and we we yeah so we we uh we've moved from those kind of uh taking those nebulous ideas and making them concrete and we've made them nebulous again and focused on the things that are concrete right in front of us mm-hmm. if that makes any sense at all it's, this is a very roundabout way to, to discuss Faramir's point of yeah. that he loves his home and not the not everything not all the. So I guess I, yeah, I guess my point would be I'm as patriotic as the next guy, and I I am incredibly grateful to our military and our uh, uh, law enforcement for what they do. Uh, but the reason that I'm so grateful for them is because I I feel like somewhere in the, along the line someone helped me learn to be grateful for. The principles that they that they fight for and protect, right? Right. right. I, I agree with that. So thanks, Grandpa. Hmm. Okay. Um, moving from politics into religion. Sweet. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, I thought it was very interesting that there was a, I'm going to say, prayer-like moment. Oh yes, yes, I loved that. They all turn to the west. Okay, I've got the quote. Do you want the quote? Yes, I want the quote. Okay. This is actually one of my points, so we're combining. We look towards Numenor that was and beyond to Elvenholm that is and to that which is beyond Elvenholm and will ever be before they before they uh, eat. Yeah. They look to the west. I absolutely, I loved that moment because in the midst of all this chaos, in the midst of everything that's going on, the life that these men are leading as rangers and protecting their people and being leaders, they pause for a moment to look to something bigger than themselves or something, you know, this... this. Well, it gets back to the the previous point, right? Mm-hmm. They're fighting and they're, they're warriors. They're, they're out there killing other dudes. But why? And this is what they do to help themselves remember, right? Mm-hmm. We're not fighting for the sake of fighting. Yeah, we're not. It's, you know, we're not notching in our helmets every time we kill someone because it's, that's, you know, our point. Right. We're doing it because 
we have family back home. We're doing it because we love this, the, the group that we, this. Because there's a God that we honor, presumably, you know, they're looking toward the West for some reason. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I, 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 so I love that there's, and you know, getting away from that particular point. Another reason that I loved this passage was because of the sense of age and mystery that it gives. Um, the mystery that I'm talking about is actually something that the elves are jealous of and they call it the gift of men. So he says, we look towards Numenor that was and beyond to elven home that is and to that which is beyond elven home and will ever be. Mm -hmm. And unless you've read the Silmarillion and I know you haven't, you probably don't know what he's talking about. No, I don't. But what he's talking about is, uh, so Elvenholm is like this paradise where the elves, when they're sailing across the sea, that's where they're going to live, right? Mm -hmm. But in Elvenholm, that's where, when elves die, that's where they go. They go to the halls of Mandos, and he's like the lord of the underworld, but not evil, like, you know. Not a Hades with a a three-headed dog. No, he's he's one of these Valar, one of the powers uh, across the sea, and he holds the halls where the spirits of the elves go. And so the whole point is that the elves know where they're going to end up if they die. Mm-hmm. And they are somewhat jealous of, of men because, because it's not sure. They believe, the elves and, and the men that uh, take after the teachings of the elves, they believe that when men die, they go back to live with Iluvatar, who gave them life. Mm-hmm. Right? They go back to heaven to live with God. Um but they they don't know. There's still that mystery. They still have to have some sort of faith about that. Whereas the elves, they have elven home. They know where they're going. Mm-hmm. You know, it takes the mystery out of it. Um, so, I, yeah, I love those little tidbits. Mm-hmm. To die would be a great adventure. Indeed. It's, please don't kill me. <laughs> Wasn't planning on it. Uh, all right. Um, I think... Since we kind of combined on that one is... Yeah, why don't you go ahead? Um... Okay, uh, I'll check my next point here real quick. And I just lost it. Go with yours because I've got to find my quote again. Um, okay, uh, you know, I had another one, but we've already talked about this one enough, I think. Just about um, uh, Faramir not only being honest, but also modest. I love it because uh, he, when he's talking about Boromir, kind of shouldered his way in or elbowed his way into the quest to Imladris. And that's why he went to the Council of Elrond, because Boromir said, no, I'm older, and I'm more experienced, and I'm hardier. Mm-hmm. And Faramir says, yep, and that was all true. So he's the <laughs> one that went, and here I am. Anyway, you know, I love those little moments. That, so there's, when when Faramir says a lot of things like that, and then he also says a lot of things like when he tells Sam, don't, don't speak for your master who has more wits than you. Mm-hmm. But, it, you know, we're told that he says that without any malice. And then when you have moments like this, you know that Faramir is a guy who has no... Uh, oh, he's guileless, to, so to speak. Uh, and so when when he says these things, you know that he at least believes that it's absolutely true. And so he's not just trying to, like, uh, you know, swat Sam down. He's telling him the truth as he sees it you know i call it as i see it right if mm-hmm. frodo is you know he's more informed and he's better at handling this situation than you are sit down mm-hmm. you know on and then on the other hand he's like well yeah my brother could probably kick my butt and you know and so that's why he got to go because uh, we arm wrestled for it and you know and, and that was that yep so 
<sighs> oh, Faramir. Faramir. <laughs> I just want you to know, as soon as you use the word guileless, yeah. I wanted. I, I wish I had had some way to play the Street Fighter thing. I know. Tuck on it. I, as soon as I said it. Like, if, if there was a way that I could do that right now, I would. But, okay. I had a Harry Potter moment. I love Harry Potter <laughs> moments. Yes, you just got my attention. I had a Harry Potter moment in here when uh, they talk, when Faramir does it. And he talks, he does it a couple times. Um, and I was looking up, uh, I was trying to find the original one, but I couldn't find it. He will not name Sauron. Oh, I know, right? They he call, who we do he not, who will name. not be named. I was like, oh, Voldemort. And I'm not even joking <laughs> as I read it. I, all of a sudden I had to stop myself. Who is the villain in this story? It's not Voldemort. <laughs> it is Sauron. Okay, yeah, Lord Sauron. I got it. I got it. Okay. And the whole idea of uh, naming something and the automatic respect that it gives uh, something, um, he says actually, um, let's see. It is not said that evil arts were ever practiced in Gondor or that the nameless one was ever named in honor there. Um, I thought it was interesting that uh, his whole people or that this whole group here, he's just saying that we won't name this. We won't name this evil. We don't want to give it any. We don't want to give him any honor. We don't want to do any any more respect than is required of something that would kill you. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. So I, I happen to think that that was... That was quite interesting that some people in the story have zero problem just being like, yeah, Sauron. Yeah. But this people who have been right, who are right on the edge of the border. Yeah, they're, they're dealing with him on a daily basis. They're dealing with him on a daily basis. Won't name him. Yeah. Uh, that's interesting. I, you know, I loved in Harry Potter the way that Gandalf puts it. Gandalf. <laughs> Speaking of mixing up the story. Yeah. <laughs> the way that Dumbledore puts it, he says uh, fear of a name is uh, increases the fear of the thing itself. Something, yeah. Whatever, however he puts it. Um, you know, so I always kind of took that to heart. I, I really liked that. So it actually bothered me a little bit when Faramir wouldn't name him. I'm mm-hmm. like, come on. He's, you know, he's not, uh, he's not all powerful. You can say his name. And see, that's, that's kind of the point I'm getting at here. When no it? one is around you, say Sauron, I love you. Say his name. Say his name. No. Dang it. So that's kind of the point that I that I'm getting at here is that for them it wasn't necess- I don't think it's necessarily out of fear that they don't that they won't name him. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things like uh, this is not going to be a great example because I'm pulling it out my wazoo. Um, like there's a some estranged family member, someone who you just don't like. Yeah. So the family doesn't talk about them. They don't say their name. They don't do anything like that. It's just. We don't like this person, so we're not going to even respect the fact that they have a name. Right. And I'm wondering if it's more like that, or if it is something that's more out of a fear. Like, we just, we don't say it. We just don't say his name at all. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think it's out of fear. I guess the short of my my point here is, I find it interesting that they won't name him, but I don't think it's out of fear that they don't name him. Yeah. And I don't know what it would be then. But, yeah, maybe you're right. Okay. So. Anything else on that one? No, I'll I'll let that one die. Okay. Uh, so my last point, um, is, okay, so there, a philosopher once said, tell me sufficiently why a thing should be done and I will move heaven and earth to do it. Um, and I love that, uh, in reference to Faramir. So Faramir knows the laws, he respects the laws, he loves, you know, his kingdom that he's, you know, helping to uphold. But uh, he's also wise enough to make sure that he has sufficient reason 
to do something as drastic as kill Frodo and Sam or Gollum for just for being an Athelian. Mm-hmm. The law is if you, or you know, the, at least the word of the steward is, if you find anybody there, kill them. Mm-hmm. But you know, he so he says, oh well, okay, I guess that's the law. But then he's going to make sure that he is. Uh, not just killing somebody out of hand. He's going to find out what their story is. Are you our ally or our enemy? So hey, I, I like this idea that he he slows down. He's not rash, and he's not uh, he's not just going to do something that somebody told him because he's a, a lemming or whatever. Yeah, he will deal out justice as it is deserved, not as it is per, dictated, uh, as it is presented to him. Right. I guess. Yeah. I think that's it speaks greatly to his character. He's such a better character in this. Yeah, this, you know, so he is a better character in the book than in the movies. And in the movies, what they said was, uh, you know, we've we've just spent an entire first movie and most of this second movie trying to establish how evil this ring is and how easily and thoroughly it corrupts people's hearts, right? And now, here comes Faramir, who says, I wouldn't even pick it up if it laid by the highway. And and so, in their line of thinking, they said, well, if we let him do that in the movie, it's just going to destroy any credibility that the ring has. Um, which really pisses me off. I, it really gets me. Uh, and... I said in an earlier cast, when we were talking about Helm's Deep, I said that maybe my least favorite change that they made was when the elves showed up to Helm's Deep. Mm-hmm. That's still really, you know, chaps my hide. But I'd forgotten about Faramir. I gotta say, I love Faramir so much in the books and what he's able to do, even confronted with the ring. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in the movie, I just I can't, I couldn't get on board with what they, what they did with him. Yeah. And that's kind of... I don't know the he is a as an overall character there's very few characters that we meet in this story that are I wouldn't say impervious but that's about as close as I yeah, get sure. to the effects of the ring that I'm sad that they didn't allow a couple characters like that to appear because I mean we see these powerful just incredibly strong characters in the books as well like Gandalf and Galadriel and stuff that are like no don't even give me the opportunity because I'm afraid I would, you know, I would try to do good with it, but right. it would destroy me. And then you've got Tom Bombadil, who's just like, hey, mm, look at this nice. little... Look yeah. at this. And you have Faramir, who's like, I'm not even, if it was on the ground, I won't even... Wow. I don't want to think about it. not even going to put myself in a position to have to deal with that, so... Right. You know, I, I like that there are characters like that. Well, and it, it goes back to something that I said earlier about Sam, which was, you know, the reason he's so quick to defend Frodo in certain situations is because he's already made the decision of what he's going to do when something like that comes up. And, you know, Faramir may not have ever thought about, oh, what would I ever do if that old ring of Sauron's that I thought was destroyed came <laughs> back? But he has made certain decisions uh, about this is who I am, this is who I want to be, and and I don't desire a station above that mm-hmm. uh, or outside of that. I don't need the glory of, you know, of uh, achievements. All I want is to fulfill my role as I've carved it out. 
Mm-hmm. And so he's made that decision before. And so now he's presented with the opportunity to go far and above what he ever thought was possible in his wildest dreams. And he's like, nah, no, I'm good. I, I know what my life's purpose is. I've made that decision already. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's not that he can't see what the ring could do for him. It's not that the ring doesn't try to tempt him just like it does everyone else. He's just already made that decision mm-hmm. and knows himself better than maybe others do there you go mastery tom bombadil the idea of mastery faramir has mastered himself (laughs) he knows himself oh i win the game yes congratulations i don't have any prizes for you yeah well um let's talk for just a moment about this ever so sacred pool Mm, yes i understand in general that the reasoning you're not supposed to be there is because it is a protected place where they can shelter themselves and right. no one's allowed to go and they're just going in there is cause for death and, right um without being bidden um so my question and you touched a little bit about on with fermier if that is such a staunch law why did they bother to why didn't they just shoot Gollum? um well you know it's like uh i suppose uh a cop who sees somebody doing something that is against the law is not within his rights to simply shoot someone or throw them in jail for life, right? That person has to be brought before uh, the proper authority who can pass down judgment and decide what to do when that law is broken, right? So Mablung and whoever else is with him, they see Gollum in the water all right, the law's been broken, here's this guy, we need to go get the judge, Faramir, to ultimately say, here's what you're going to do. Okay, I get what you're saying there, because originally my thought was like, well, but the law is established there, and they do have the right to, because they've been told, shoot on sight. Um, yeah. So, I find it, uh, bringing up the whole idea of, let's go get the judge, Faramir, that does calm it a little bit. But it also brings up that I find interesting the judgment that uh, Faramir passes and the value that he puts. And this is a lost. This is a, a lost bit of society that I, I would wish, would come back, mm-hmm. but it will not. Sadly, um, we can only live duels in, in the streets. <laughs> no, but I did recently read about Andrew Jackson and some of the duels he had. That man was <laughs> yes. a psycho. Um, no, the idea. That a man can be held at his word. Because mm. there's no there's no magic. There's nothing, no spies following him. He simply says, Frodo, do you, I was, Frodo, do you take this gone? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do you, do you believe him? Do you, is that a good enough oath for you? Yeah. So, and everything is based on, you know, Frodo has, has established his trust with, with uh, Faramir. And his word is good enough to even cover for Gollum. Yeah. And Gollum's word is good enough to Frodo. It's it's a lost it's a lost thing in our society. The idea that I can I can walk up to someone and promise something with a handshake, and that it stands, and that you can believe beyond any shadow of a doubt that that's going to happen. Yeah, no, I I agree. I really wish that that would be um, the case. I actually uh, last year I did some work for a guy. Um, he was a small business owner who. Uh, I did a little work for, I only lasted a few months and, and then we parted ways. But in that time, I, I 
did enough work that I merited X number of dollars, and he didn't pay me a dime. Mm-hmm. Despite our verbal agreement and even written contracts, he totally backed out and went out on his word. And nothing drives me crazier. I mean, outside of the fact that I'm I'm out money, you know, that's money that I was counting on that I worked for. You know, really outside of that, there's just the the sense of betrayal that you get when somebody gives you their word. And even in this case, signs a contract with their name, you know, mm-hmm. so you're essentially you're swearing on your name and you go back on it. Oh, yeah, I'm with you. And that's not to say that I'm perfect at it. I know that, you know, that I'm not the best at living up to uh, to my word all the time. But yeah. shoot, we could we could try better. Yeah, it, this is something that there's no way to implement this into society again, except for on the personal level. Mm-hmm. You can only, as an individual, you have to say to yourself, I will be true to my word. And, you know, if people would, can, you know, if we could get everyone doing that, it would be great. But uh, any attorneys listening to this podcast would probably say, no, no, no. Well, that's, so that's the thing is that when you, we tried to institutionalize this practice, that's what gives rise to uh, so many lawsuits. That's that's why we have contract law, is because we tried to institutionalize this cultural practice of keeping your word. Mm-hmm. And so we make laws around, yeah, if you sign your name on this sort of document, then that's binding. Now we have people trying to, you know, get out of that. And they and they feel like they have a, a moral excuse to do so because they have a lawyer who can find some loophole. Yeah. You know, in the language that says, oh, yeah, you didn't really give your word there. Yeah, this was too ambiguous. How could we possibly understand what you meant by this? Because I was there in the meeting. <laughs> yeah, we exactly. Shook hands, we knew what. Yeah. Yeah, man, you could really get my blood boiling here. Yeah, this this is why Faramir is such a great character, because he embodies these things, a lot of these things that we have lost in our society that may that were just great things. Mm. Honesty, lack of guile. Um, modesty, modesty, uh, what wisdom in judgment, you know, there is quite a bit of lacking in that as you know, nowadays as well, because everything is so quick and so instant. We Mm -hmm. don't take the time necessarily to think through things very well because it's just so much more convenient to get it now. Yeah. So remember when Gandalf said, do not be too eager to deal out death and judgment. Yes. Well, now we have the ideal of that, I suppose. Mm-hmm. I did find it interesting, this is just a little side point, that Gandalf is kind of Frodo's conscience. Right? He keep, he's like the little, he's on his right shoulder, <laughs> kind of whispering in Frodo's ear all the time. Frodo, I would not want you to kill Gollum. <laughs> he's really only a gangrel creature. Um, well, good. So who I, would, I, um, who it, would the bad guy be then? Who would be his devil on his other shoulder? Uh, I don't know. Ted Sandyman. <laughs> <laughs> what the miller's son from back in the shire oh, fatty um, bulger fatty bulger <laughs> uh <laughs> wow blast from the past uh so i i'm good i think i've brought up everything that i really wanted to um david wenham thank you so much for portraying faramir wonderfully i'm sorry that they wrote you in a way that i uh find so distasteful but but i really like david wenham I thought he did great. You do a good job at a stubble beard. Oh, yeah. He's quite rakish in his charm, isn't he? Um, Good. Anything else we want to go over? No, I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I told you last time I've got a man crush on Faramir. It, uh, it it knows it knows no bounds. <laughs> Probably some bounds, but uh, minimal. <laughs> Only those of geography and reality. Got it. All right. Well, let's move on and uh, and head to uh, Kirithungul. Pass of the Spider. Uh, mm-hmm. So we're going to uh, finish up Book Four uh, in one of uh, in one of my favorite passages. Is that the end of the Two Towers itself? Yeah, it is. Oh. So we're almost done with Two Towers, and then we're moving on to Return of the King, which moves at lightning pace. Um, so we really only have a few casts left. I hope we can get a guest on for everyone. Uh, it was only my laziness that didn't get us one today. Oh. So. Scheduling gets a bit tough sometimes. If you'd like to be a guest on the Legendarium... For this or any other work. Yeah. If you have an interest in something else and you're, or you'd like us to cover something else, let us know. We the have actually... The Legendarium Podcast at gmail.com. Yes. Also you, on Facebook at The Legendarium. Yeah. Reach out to us. Let us know what you'd like us to do and say, hey, I, I have an appreciation of this thing and I'd like to have a chance at beating... Ryan senseless in trivia because it sounds like it's not a hard thing to do the last few weeks. <laughs> and even if it's been a long time since we've done Lord of the Rings and you're listening to this three years later and we haven't done a cast in six months, write us anyway so that we have an excuse to get back behind this microphone. Exactly. All right. Let's sign off and I will see you again in one week. Sign off. Hey guys, thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to The Legendarium on iTunes. Uh, check us out at thelegendarium.podbean.com and also write us at thelegendariumpodcast at gmail.com.